Thank you, Peter and Macray. I don't know if anyone else caught the image of the one picture with the smiley faces. Peter has a little sledgehammer that he's holding on his shoulder as they're talking to people about Jesus. <laughs> that works. Just be careful when you're talking to them out there. So, no, uh, it's been great having them here. I, I spent parts of three different summers over in Alkmaar working with them and uh, learning from them and their ministry, and they're doing some really neat stuff in the, uh, the country of Holland. So, good to see them and be back here with them. Now, let's switch gears a little bit. <clears throat> if you uh, had a dollar for every time you maybe have heard somebody over the past, I don't know, year or two say something about this world is crazy, right? Or this, you try to explain some of the things that are happening, and you just kind of end the conversation by saying, the world is just crazy. I don't understand it. Like, I, I don't get what's going on in our world, right? Like, if you had a dollar for every time you heard somebody say that, you'd probably be a millionaire at this point in your life, right? Um, because the world is. It's, it's chaotic. It's crazy. It's, it's hard to understand some of the things that are going on in our world today. And, and as I've been studying the book, as I've been working through it, is, is, is Peter's trying to help us find clarity in chaos. Clarity in first century followers of Jesus. They, they lived in a time, the, the recipients of this letter from Peter, lived in a time where there was a man, a crazy man by the name of and the persecution that he uh, displayed towards Christians in those days was um, second to none. And, um, uh, animal, animal clothes. letter in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 he says this dear
some things that will help us navigate the chaotic. chaotic things that kind of are all around. And then lastly, there's a challenge to look inside.
as ours. Now, Peter's saying, look, who had no sin to be sinful. to be accredited to us. It's kind of like this.
statement about the relationship that God has called us into. friends kind of camping on World Day and, and doing this. So we knew we were like, Dad, but I'm only nine, and, and where you can just listen to these words. And when I...
sun to where it's going to rise and to where it's going to set. But now he's saying, look back, because what has happened is significant. so that we can feel good about ourselves or feel like, all right,
effort the same way that I have. Make every effort. was too high. And um, I'm kind of one who doesn't really like to follow rules all that much at times. So uh, we thought, hey, this would be a great idea. The river looks really wild. Let's go out on the river. So we, we, uh, we got out and the boys got on a kayak. We put life jackets on them and all that kind of stuff. And we sent them out there with some friends. And they got on a kayak. And then as I let them go, I realized that the one guy on the kayak, see, I don't think things through very well either. So it's a bad combination of not following rules and not thinking things through. But so he gets on the kayak and all of a sudden the kayak just starts like spinning around. And I, I have this moment where I realize, like, these guys have no idea how to navigate on a kayak. Like, they're out there doing their thing, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. Like, not only have I just sent my son down the Juniata River, where I don't even know where it's going to end up, but he's got his, one of his best friends with him on the back of the kayak, and they're going to end up <laughs> in a whole other town. So all of a sudden, I am start running down the side of the, the creek or the, the, um, the river, and I just start swimming out to the river to kind of catch the kayak and bring it back onto the shore. And, um, and so we go down probably about seven or eight properties down the river, and I finally get a hold of their kayak, and we bring it back in. And these guys are laughing. They're having a good old time. And like, meanwhile, I'm like having a heart attack. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. So we pull them back into the river, and I start climbing back up the river, and there's a private property sign there, and he's this, this, um, this older couple starts coming down and just starts yelling at us and screaming at us, like, what are you doing on our property? This is private. I'm like, look. I'm like, these kids were about to die. A minute ago, I was like, like, I'll get off your property as fast as you want me to get off your property, but you got to understand what just happened. I made a bad decision, and I was trying to fix it. And, um, and it just reminds me that we do not drift into godliness, that when we, when we kind of just are drifting, it usually is going to end in a bad place, like when I put my boys out on a, on a kayak in a raging river. Not a good idea, right? And so we do not drift into godliness. So why should we make every effort? Peter would say, because it's worth it. And here's the list. You say, well, what does it mean for me to live in a, in a partnership where a, he's saying participate in a divine nature? What does that mean? Peter's going to give us a list of what that looks like. It's, it's something that happens inside of us and that changes us. He goes on and he writes this list of things, right? Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, goodness, and to godliness, or and to, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And so he goes through this list of things. That that's what it looks like to experience a divine nature, to be participants with God in, in his life, flowing in and through us. That these things ought to begin to bubble up in our lives. And I don't think there's necessarily any significance to the the list and the order of the things that he puts them in here, but I think there is a trajectory for us to look at. He talks about faith, and he ends with love, self-sacrificing love. And so you have this seed of faith where we trust God, and then he talks about all this stuff that goes in between there, this goodness, this knowledge, this self-control, perseverance. What does he mean by all that stuff? Well, let me just run down real quick what I think he's talking about here. Goodness, I think he's talking about moral excellence and the virtue that's based on our faith, not just on being a nice, smiley person. You know, there's this misconception that everybody's just good and, like, nice and smiley, and they're all cool. Yeah, until you spend, like, a day or two with them, and you realize that's not always the case, right? But here he's talking about goodness in the sense of something that's deeper, honesty, integrity, transparency, 
that is birthed because of a relationship with Jesus. Talk about knowledge is experiential knowledge that Peter's talking about, this growing knowledge and this deepening knowledge and relationship with God. Self-control is the response we have to Jesus that allows us to say yes or no to something. It's not like just putting your head down, like trying to work through a really bad diet or something like that. No, it's not, it's not talking about just kind of like mustard the strength in yourself. It's, it's self-control is a response to Jesus and saying, I, I'm going to say no or yes to that because of who Jesus is. Perseverance is self-control over and over again. Is the ability to say no to and yes to things based on Jesus consistently. That's perseverance. Godliness is God-likeness. It's this, this stuff that he talks about when Jesus said, I've come to give life and give it to its fullest. This, I think, is a depth of what he's talking about is this, this, this real life here, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, these things. That is real life. He talks about mutual affection is the, the act of brotherly kindness, just caring for one another deeply. And then he ends with love, the self-sacrificing love. And so you have faith, it starts as a seed, and then it develops these roots of knowledge, of goodness, of self-control, of perseverance, of godliness, of love. And those things become the fruit of our relationship with God. And as we interact with people, they begin to see those things, and they begin to taste those things, because fruit is not meant for us, it's meant for others. That's the nature of fruit. And so he continues on here in verse 8. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, if they are continuing to grow, and they ought to be, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, there is a place for us as followers of Jesus where we can have a knowledge of Jesus and be ineffective and unproductive. Those words literally mean barren and unfruitful. And what Peter's trying to encourage us is saying, listen, make every effort. Don't just drift through life. Make every effort to pursue intentional relationship with God. Because in doing that, you will begin to experience his life. And you will not be ineffective and unproductive, but you will be the opposite. You'll be effective and productive as your follower of Jesus. It reminds me of the, the words from James in chapter 2 when he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Well, Peter continues on in verse 9. He says this, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. If, you're not, if those things, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, the list that he just went through, those things aren't kind of bubbling up in our hearts. We've lost sight of something. And he's saying that's why he's encouraging us, look back. Because when we're nearsighted, all we can see is what's in front of us. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when you face a chaotic moment or life seems out of control or it's just crazy, that's all you can see sometimes. And then oftentimes it just seems overwhelming to you. And it seems like it's swallowing you and there's nowhere for you to run or to go or to hide. or You just feel like your only option is to succumb to it. And what Peter is saying is like, look back. You have a much bigger picture as a Christ follower to draw from. This chaotic moment or the situation in your life is not the only thing that defines you in your life. Do not be nearsighted. Look back at what God has done for you through Jesus, his son. Look back at those things. Listen to what he, what he says here in verse 9. He says, 
It says, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting, listen, this is all past tense, that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So he's like, look back. Don't just drift through life. Because these chaotic moments in life, they're, gonna, they're like a wild river current that's going to take you somewhere. Look back. Be grounded as far as you want clarity and chaos. Look back at what I've done for you through my son, Jesus. You see, when we're, we're here, and all, all this is all we see, it's kind of like we're, we're stuck and we're straddling. We're like, I'm not so sure. Our faith feels small. And it's like, I, I'm... I know I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm, not just, I'm just not seeing it, and I don't know where to go, and we're kind of like straddling these two worlds, and we don't know what to do. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, if you're going to be saved, be saved 100%. The most miserable person in the world is the half-committed Christian who is just enough in the world to be miserable in God, and just enough into God that they are miserable in the world. I'm reminded of this truth from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. There is a new creation that God has begun in your life when you put your faith in Jesus. And sometimes we forget that. It's like when you get a new car. Let's use this example. You get a new car, and you're like polishing that thing up, and you're cleaning everything. And just take a trip in my truck, and you'll realize my truck is not anywhere new at all, right? So it's got dust and dog hair and all that kind of stuff in there. But so anyway, um, you get this new car, and you're just paying attention to it, and you're trying to clean it. You're like polishing the tires, and you're doing all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, th- that's the idea that I think Paul's trying to communicate here. You are a new creation. Like, take care of it. Like, stay in tune with it, what God's doing in you. And it's not like, like a new car kind of loses its luster in like six months, you're like, eh, it's just like you're just driving it around, right? But what, what, what the idea that Paul's trying to communicate is like, God is doing something new in you every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is something new that God wants to do in your heart and in your life. And so pay attention to that. Be in tune with that, with what God's trying to do. For we are a new creation in Christ. And so he wraps it up in verse 10. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, there's that phrase again, to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will receive a rich welcome. And so in a moment here, we're going to take communion together. And uh, so if you have the elements, I'd encourage you to grab them. If you don't, there's some floating around or some just outside the, the auditorium here. And I'm reminded of, of this promise that we have from God in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. As we hold the, the cup and the bread we're reminded that Jesus went through what he went through on the cross to establish a kingdom, one that cannot be shaken, so that no matter what the chaotic life circumstance you may find yourself in or the moments where it just seems like it's overwhelming to us, may we we be reminded that we serve a God who has an unshakable kingdom. We have a God who wants to help us work through 
the chaos. You know, when Jesus gathered his, his followers around, the idea was for them to continue doing this, to take communion. It's one of the reasons we do it once a month here at Davisville. But he said this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're instructed this, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, and the idea is that you're going to do this over and over again. Like, be reminded of these things. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's what Peter was referring to when we talked about in the very beginning, why he wrote the letter to these Christians in Asia Minor. He wrote these things to them to remind them that they serve one who has established a kingdom that is unshakable, who calls us and invites us to participate with him, to receive his life in this world. So let's take and eat together. If you have the bread, let's take the bread and be reminded of the life that Jesus lived and that was broken for us on the cross. Let's eat together. And uh, carefully peel the cup there. As we hold this, let's be reminded of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins so that we may walk with him and be in relationship with him. Let's drink together.